Hello, I'm Mike Lewis, the managing editor of Where Peter Is, and the host of the Peter's Field Hospital podcast. This is part two of my discussion with David Lafferty and Nathan Tarowski about the influence of leaders like Archbishop Vigano and Taylor Marshall on ordinary Catholics. In part one, we discussed the influence of the QAnon conspiracy theory on Archbishop Vigano's recent letter-writing campaign. In part two, we talk about the extremes that this kind of rhetoric has reached, the disturbing impact of these messages on ordinary Catholics, and what we can do to reverse this trend. As always, we would like to thank our Patreon sponsors, especially Lisa, Chris, and Stephen. If you would like to support Where Peter Is, please visit wherepeteris.com and click on the Patreon button on the right-hand column of the page. We hope you enjoy part two of the podcast. The thing that really gets me is is my mouth is just my my jaw has been open for probably the last six or seven vegano letters when when Cardinal Burke started talking about microchips and government tracking. It's amazing to me that these figures are allowed to continue without any pushback. I mean, honestly, when when Cardinal Burke openly requested in, in 2017 for the re-consecration, of course, in his mind, the actual consecration of Russia to Mary's Immaculate Heart as Our Lady requested at Fatima. I thought that that was the Rubicon because I thought that faithful Catholics, uh, the great majority of them in the U.S., support Pope John Paul II and Pope Emeritus Benedict even if they don't support Pope Francis. I thought I thought he had crossed a line. But boy, has he blown past that line and and then started talking about apostasy and suggesting that the full third secret wasn't revealed and has bought into a lot of these uh, one-world conspiracy theories. Nathan, I've described this as post-reality. I've heard a lot of people talk about our culture as post-truth like you were saying earlier, you're shocked at the number of your peers, the number of Catholics, especially young, young adult converts who are just buying into this stuff. How, how deep do you think all of this goes and where do you think it leads? I have a hard time envisioning any endpoint to this process other than some kind of formal schism at some point. I think the only reason there hasn't been some sort of public excommunication or schism or something yet is that we are living in a post-truth, post-reality environment where the fact that there are millions of people who think that they are literally more Catholic than the Pope is just something we've all agreed to accept or ignore or not point out as strange anymore. 
I think eventually the other shoe is going to drop and it's going to become clear to people that there's no way for the institution of the papacy to coexist with a significant constituency of Catholics that think that the Pope is an evil Democrat baby-eating heretic. I think I I, th I think the whole post-truth and post-reality just oh we just agreed to live in this utterly absurd situation because it would be too awkward to point out how ridiculous it is. The, the post-truth post-reality um, series of points or catchphrases or whatever is apt here, and I just don't see any way out of the mire of millions and millions of especially American Catholics genuinely believing and being told by prominent clergy that they are literally more Catholic than the Pope. I, I just don't see any way out of that other than some sort of breaking point. And I think one of the reasons perhaps why Pope Francis hasn't actually taken any formal action. Well, I'm considering, I consider two possibilities. One, he and those around him might underestimate the depth of this problem. They may not realize how many priests are preaching this from the pulpit, discussing this among themselves, how widespread it is at seminaries. And frankly, although not a lot of them are public about it, I have a feeling there is a significant minority of U.S. Catholic bishops who are to some degree on board with this line of thinking. The other possibility is that he might be aware of it, but he knows at this point that they're not going to listen to any kind of disciplinary action. They're not going to recognize any kind of excommunication or declaration that they've gone outside of communion. In Robert Festigi's piece that he wrote for us this past weekend, even though he, from his theological perspective, totally sees Vigano as materially schismatic, he doesn't recommend that Pope Francis take any, any action. To be frank, if anybody is buying in to what Vigano is saying, at least in my opinion, they will not recognize or respond in a good way to any action that's taken against him. Because what he's saying is so far off the wall that any acknowledgement on the part of Francis, I think, might push things in, in that direction. Do you see any antidote, or, or what are your feelings about why there hasn't been a response? Well, first of all, I think that what you just described is another post-truth thing, this denial of basic reality. You know, the fact that we can seriously be, be talking about denials of reality to the extent of people not just thinking they were unjustly excommunicated, but thinking they haven't been excommunicated when they have. Yeah, my, my guess is essentially what you said. I think that either Pope Francis is still still believes or is still being told that this is a small vocal group of troublemakers who he can basically just benignly ignore, or or he knows otherwise now and is just not taking 
any actions that would further embolden them or further escalate towards formal schism. I'm not beating the drum for schism. I think that at some point, some sort of parting of the ways is inevitable, but I'm not happy about that. And I, I think that Pope Francis is, is well within his rights to, to try to avoid that if at all possible. I'm just not sure how successful in the long run I think that strategy can possibly be at this point. I think it surprises a lot of people, myself included, to see that a schism against the Pope is materializing on the right. Now, I know that there are a lot of people in Catholic media who who are on the right, and they're telling us to divert our attention to the German synodal way. Even though I grew up in a reactionary conservative Catholic family, I went to an extremely liberal Catholic high school. So for me to hear that there are liberal Catholics out there who want women's ordination and want gay marriage and, you know, want other aspects of the so-called progressive or liberal agenda is is like reporting to me that water is wet. I I almost shrug my shoulders at that. There's nothing, there's nothing new. People say to me, why don't you attack the left the way that you do the right? Well, what I'm seeing from the left is that people are basically pouring out of the church at alarming rates. On the right, they might claim that they're more Catholic than the Pope. People may dissent from Catholic teaching. They may hate the Pope. They might claim that they speak for the church and the magisterium doesn't, although they'll claim that what they are speaking is the magisterium. But what I notice is they're not going anywhere. Even when action is taken against them, when Archbishop Lefebvre and and the four bishops that he consecrated were excommunicated, they denied the legitimacy of that excommunication. The priests of the SSPX are suspended and, and have no faculties in the church, yet they claim that that's invalid. They're not going anywhere. They're going to claim to be the best Catholics in the world, whereas what I'm seeing on the left and from people in this culture is that a lot of them are hanging by a thread and they've got one foot out the door and hammering home some moral doctrine that's not going to bring them back that's just going to send them away to never return um david you've you've written about this uh, synodal way in germany and the one that's coming up in in australia and we don't have to go through that whole thing but let me run this idea by you i think that a lot of pope francis's strategy is directed towards a rapidly secularizing society that is very quickly losing its connection to the Catholic faith. And I think a lot of Catholics on the right don't, they almost have the elder brother syndrome from from the prodigal son parable, where they've stuck with it the whole time and here is pope francis making making this big deal out of these liberal leaders or these young people who aren't very orthodox or or is being tolerant of priests and bishops who who dissent from catholic moral teachings but i think his approach is what's necessary and i think that committed catholics 
Catholics who are really committed to thinking with the church would be better off if they aligned themselves with Pope Francis and his mission of evangelization of those in the culture who are tempted to walk away from the church. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think there's a, a very different dynamic when we're looking at the progressive wing of the church versus the sort of reactionary or traditionalist wing. I think, um, I mean, we're so used to hearing from the, the more traditionalist Catholics and, you know, complaining that uh, the faith has been so watered down and all this kind of stuff. But the perception from progressive Catholics has been quite the opposite. They, I mean, they're kind of thinking that there's a lot of potential from the Second Vatican Council that was never fulfilled, right? Because um, there were forces within the church that kind of stopped progress from happening, right? And you saw that with, I mean, they're especially, um, they had a, a big problem with uh, Ratzinger or, or, you know, Pope, Pope Benedict and the way that he sort of, you know, clamped down on um, progressive theologians and that sort of thing. And so um, they've gone through this long period where they said, you know, we really wish the church would go further. We really wish the church would, would make more progress. Um, but they kind of got through the John Paul II and Pope Benedict years. And then in the midst of that, when they were, you know, thinking they were being patient, then the abuse crisis breaks out. And I think you can't underestimate how incredibly traumatic that has been for, I mean, all kinds of Catholics, but especially those who stuck with the church despite Humanae Vitae, who stuck with the church despite the church's teachings on, you know, homosexuality as objectively disordered and all that, that sort of thing. Um, then to see the church just sort of disintegrate into um, sexual corruption, you know, within its own ranks, it just seemed like the ultimate in hypocrisy. So I think on the progressive wing, what we're seeing is, yeah, people who want now, they're saying either we get that progress that we were sort of promised at Vatican II, or it's done for us. You know, like that's, there's a lot of people who, yeah, like you said, I think are hanging on by a thread. And on the one hand, I don't think we should be quick to water down the faith. And I don't think that um, Pope Francis is, is big on that either. But I think he really wants to reach out to those people. He doesn't want to let those people go. And, and I think that's very important to the people who we sometimes look down upon as cafeteria Catholics. I don't think we want to let those people go. Because again, it's a huge part of the church, uh, a part of the church who's you know stuck with the church, despite it being sort of at odds with the way that they would sort of prefer to live their lives, right? So it's it's just a very it's a very different dynamic. But I, what I appreciate, I guess, about the the sort of progressive side of things is that I mean, this is happening in a very sort of transparent way. I mean, whatever you want to say about the uh, synodal way. It's extremely transparent. They publish everything that they do. Um, now it's mainly in German, but you can you can get it translated pretty easily. All the discussions they're having, everything, it's all it's all put up there. And when you actually read through it, it's not quite as radical as it sounds when it's talked about on LifeSite News or uh, you know, or even in National Catholic Register or, or CNA. Um, it's often much more nuanced, right? Like so, there's not. It's, they want more maybe openness. They don't want an actual sort of break with church teaching in a lot of cases, or they 
they'll talk about bringing women into the church. I think very few of them actually want female priests, let's say. Some are for female deacons. Many are for just greater female participation in the church in general. So we have to make those kind of subtle distinctions. But what, I, what I've found most disconcerting about the, the traditionalist uprising is, for one, it goes against that spirit of openness of the Second Vatican Council and the spirit of openness that Pope Francis has been putting forward. And in some cases, it just completely rejects the Second Vatican Council. Like Vigano, in his piece that he published uh, after this Trump letter, you know, talking about the, um, I think that's the one where he talks about the post-Vatican II neo-church or, uh, you know, this, this kind of monstrosity that's not the real church. So they're actually far, far more radical. They're, they're far coming at things from a, if we want to talk about radicality, <laughs> it's, it's the people like Vigano who are, who are by far the most radical and who are, are taking the biggest leaps towards schism. And they're doing it, again, not in a sort of transparent way. They're doing it through these sort of staged media interventions. And, you know, like Vigano is in hiding. You have basically people testing seeing how far they can go, how much they can get away with, how much they can kind of push against Pope Francis and the sort of post-Vatican II church without being, you know, excommunicated or disciplined or whatever. And to me, it just seems it's fundamentally dishonest. It's, it's that kind of working against the Pope where you're, you're really trying to, to stab him in the back. And, uh, and I think that's the thing that, that has to stop. At least in, in Germany, they're doing it in full sight of everybody, and we can all critique it, and I think we should critique it. But at least it's, it's, it's there, and they're listening, and it's all under the eyes of, uh, of the, the church. Nathan, I was just thinking about some of what David said and, and seeing if you, thinking if you agree. As I mentioned earlier, a lot of this seems like a rehash of the post-Vatican II traditionalist reaction. And there's a big part of me that thinks that this only leads down uh, one road. I think, I think one thing that we've noticed is that since this resistance to Pope Francis began, each of these, these anti-Francis voices, leaders, has adopted even more radical positions. They've gone from finding Pope Francis a little concerning or troubling, to openly disagreeing with some of his teachings, to declaring that he's a heretic. Now we have people who are denying his authority. Uh, Taylor Marshall has embraced uh, the SSPX to a large degree. Vigano theologically seems to be in schism from, from the Pope. I mean, part of me wonders why they don't just rip off the Band-Aid and, and declare them, themselves all set of acantists or call for a new conclave and a uh, conclave of one, I guess, and elect Cardinal Burke Pope. I think part of it is because they, they want to hold on to what they have institutionally, especially those who do rely on the institutional church. But I guess one thing that, that you said was you don't really see a reversal how much lower do you think it can get? I don't know if I can answer that question, because if you had asked me even a year ago, I don't know that I would have thought it was possible for it to get as low as it is now. Yeah. The funny thing is, I uh, back in 2018, I wrote a piece 
about how a lot of these people are conspiracy theorists. And I took a quote from uh, Bishop Schneider and a quote from Cardinal Burke talking about the, the um, consecration of Russia and a, mm -hmm. a quote from Cardinal Seurat. And mm -hmm. um, now that I'm, I look back at, at, at those, it's, it's almost quaint to think of what I thought of as, a, as an off-the-wall conspiracy theory from where we were then to where we are now. Vigano, I think, is a, a cornucopia of crazy, even compared to Burke, even compared to Schneider, certainly compared to Seurat, who, even though he's gotten out to no good in the past few months, I still feel kind of um, at least a half step above the rest. Yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't know how much worse I think it can get. What I would expect is, in the immediate future, a situation where these people are saying plainly sedificantist things, where they're just plainly, um, I mean, we're all, we're we're already seeing this in in Vigano's second the second of the two V drops of the past few weeks, where um, if if you will, where um, where v Vigano refers to Francis as neo eletto in twenty thirteen in scare quotes the newly elected it's like vigano is it's, it's like vigano is chief wiggum in that old simpsons joke watch me wink as i speak when pope wink francis was elected wink wink i think we'll be seeing more of that i think eventually they're gonna start just consistently speaking and behaving as if they don't believe that Fran that there is a, a valid incumbent pope. I think there might be a, a breaking point when whenever uh, Pope Emeritus Benedict passes away. Like so, some of some of the you know the, the Benevacantist current might lump themselves in with the Sedes after that point. But I think there's probably for some time gonna be a a, a continued hypocrisy or a continued double think in the behavior of for example parish priests who pray in the eucharistic prayer for unity with someone they don't believe is pope i think i think you're going to see increasingly flagrant hypocrisy and double think around that and i think at some point i have to believe that the the cognitive dissonance is just going to be too much to stand i don't see how you can go on and on indefinitely saying things like together with Francis our Pope and such and such our Bishop. It's like um, in, in the Episcopal Church, which I converted to Catholicism from, th there was an issue that I had. I, I didn't have the whole laundry list of, of complaints about liberal Christian moral theology or whatever that a lot of converts from mainline Protestantism to Catholicism have, but I was concerned that these were people who, as I like to put it, priests in, in these denominations couldn't get through the Nicene Creed without crossing their fingers. I'm concerned that we'll end up with a Catholicism in which there's a significant portion of priests who cannot get through the Eucharistic prayer without crossing their fingers. 
Right. Well, then I'm sorry. We this this turned out to be a lot more intense <laughs> conversation. I was hoping to talk about Paul the Sixth earlobes and Frank Sinatra uh, being the uh, <laughs> being uh, you know his like a thought out. Bionic Frank Sinatra, yeah. Uh, David was saying he thinks that I I, I mentioned that in one of my essays. David was saying he thinks that that was like one QAnon person who tried to make that a thing, but even the other QAnon people weren't having it. Yeah, yeah. So David, um, to close us out, um, I'm curious, where do you think this is headed? How low do you think this will go? Question. The next question is. Do you think at some point Pope Francis will take action against this erupting schism? And I don't think anyone can really deny it. And what do you think is the way out? Well, yeah, I mean, those are huge questions. And I, I actually, uh, I agree with, with Nathan that um, I don't see this easing off or slowing down um, in any way because... I mean, if you look at the the people who have kind of gone on this path, the sort of anti-Francis path, no one's come back from it, it seems. Um, people, no one's kind of gone, you know, this far and then taken a few steps back, or it doesn't seem to be that way. People just keep going further and further and further and more extreme. And I think it's because, you know, it's it's very difficult to, even if you think, you know, maybe I'm going in the wrong direction here. You have to look back and say, well, then I was wrong about all those things that I said about Pope Francis. I'm wrong about all these things that I said about Vatican II. I'll have to make like a kind of apology. It's very, very difficult for people to do that. It's painful. And it's much easier to then to instead double down and uh, reinforce those you know, existing beliefs once again and get even more extreme. I actually but, want to interrupt you there because some of our readers actually have come back from that break. And and that's really who we're there for, for people who are, well, people who love the Pope and, and want to learn more about him and, 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 and help promote his mission and vision. But a lot of people who are surrounded with this line of thinking stumble across our site or they're, they, they're looking for something different. And um, fortunately, our work has been there. And I'm I'm grateful to you guys for being part of this important service. So I just wanted to stop you there because there are individual cases, but it's certainly not the overall trend. Yeah, actually, I I totally agree with that. Um, and I've you know by contributing to where Peter is, I've come into contact with with people, a good number of people who have told me those same kinds of things. You know, like they were they were really leaning towards believing the things that. You know Taylor Marshall had to say, and and those kind of public figures. But now they, thanks to where Peter is, they've they've kind of come to their senses, and I, I think that's a huge part of the the mission, yeah, of of where Peter is. And I think it's it's such a, a blessing that it that it exists for that reason. And I'm I'm proud to uh, to be a contributor to it for that reason. Um, I guess I'm thinking more about the sort of public figures who have been the sort of leaders, the big voices. And I think it's especially hard for them to admit that they're wrong because they've got an audience. They've got some of them, this is pulling in a lot of money for them. And to turn around and kind of back off some of those things they were saying before, that's going to earn them a lot of criticism. It's going to lose, they're going to lose followers. They're going to lose 
that income stream. And so, again, you can only kind of maintain that momentum by getting more and more extreme. And I think, unfortunately, they're going to take some people with them, but hopefully many people will come to their senses in the meantime. And I think Pope Francis, it may be that he doesn't quite realize the severity of the situation, but I like to think anyway that he does and that he's letting this play out because he knows that it's necessary for the church. I think he really wanted to create this open missionary church that goes out to people, not a church that's defensive, that has enemies that it has to fight all the time, right? That's not his way of thinking. And so even to to discipline someone like Vigano or Cardinal Burke, someone like that, that would be like drawing that line and making them the enemy. And then you've got a battle that he's got to deal with. I, think, I don't think he wants to fall into playing that game. And this, this idea of the enemy, it seems like there's a whole, for a long time, there's been people in the church. And I think this is just part of human nature too. You know, they need this, this enemy to, to fight. And the church at times in history has been very defensive, has been kind of on guard against all of the forces trying to destroy it. And they, so there's a nostalgia for that time. But that's not what we need right now. For a while, I think, you know, if you look at the apocalyptic Marian um, stuff that I've been going through, I was surprised that, you know, how much of it is connected to anti-communism. It was part of that sort of apocalyptic Cold War narrative. And I think that was part of the great appeal is that they set up Russia and they set up the communist empire as the great enemy of the church, you know, the great foe that we have to conquer. Even through the John Paul II era, that was still part of the narrative because he was the, you know, the guy who was helping to take down communism. And he did in a way. But after that, I think people were a little lost because it seemed like after the fall of communism, there wasn't this enemy to fight. So they turned, they tried to figure out new enemies. So they looked to the new world order. They looked to liberalism in general, or they might try to want to reinvigorate the Cold War. Like people who, who really, there's so much criticism of the China, the Vatican-China agreement, because I think people would love to see China as the great atheist empire that the church has to battle, right? Um, but again, Pope Francis doesn't see things that way. See things that way. I don't think the church is thinking that way. That we have to always be engaging in these sort of existential battles. That that more can be accomplished through openness and dialogue. And again, these are kind of boring sounding things, but they can actually, when you get into them, they can be the most fruitful, amazing things. But again, just superficially, they don't have that crusader edge to them that a lot of people are looking for. Right. So, I think. There's going to be a purging of the church, of that mentality that we need to be always fighting against the enemy. Because conspiracy theory is that. It's, always, it's, a, it's an attempt to create an enemy that's at your door, that's in your institutions, that wants to subvert everything that's good, and you're the only one who can fight it. You're on the side of light versus darkness, that sort of thing. We've got to get that mentality out of the church to, to create a more... Um, again, it's not that we're trying to say that I certainly don't think that Pope Francis believes that evil doesn't exist. Evil certainly exists. The devil certainly exists. But it's all very much more complicated than black versus white, Veganoite uh, mentality would uh, would allow for. So I think this is almost going to be a really painful purging, but I think it's necessary. And I, my only thing is I just hope it doesn't bring down too many people with it. Because, um, you know, again, it's ordinary people in the pews who I think, you know, we probably care the most about, especially at, at where Peter is. And, and that's, I guess, the, the thing that's the most heartbreaking to be 
a North American Catholic and to, to see this happening to people, friends, family, people we know, people in our congregations, there, there are going to be losses by this, by this strategy. And, and I guess that's the thing. That's why I keep thinking, I, I wish Francis would, there's a part of me that says, I wish Francis would just excommunicate these people and, and prove that what they're doing is operating outside what the church, what the church is actually doing. But um, I think we've gone on for a significant amount of time. So um, thank you, Nathan and David, for a very fascinating conversation. Just keep fighting the good fight. You know, I, I, one thing that popped into my head when we, when we were talking about potential solutions is we need great saints. We need not just effective leaders, but we need true witnesses and, and true evangelizers, especially in this country. And God will provide the church what it needs. That's something Phyllis Zagano said when, when I interviewed her a, a couple of months ago. So, yeah, I mean, let, let's continue to pray for our church, pray for Vigano and, and, and all those who, who are following him. Pray for Mr. Q, whoever that is. Let's let's um, keep our eyes fixed on Christ and and try to stay close to His church. So thank you, Nathan, David, and uh, everyone listening. Until next time, take care. 